We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in Max's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. interesting with Carter because we, we all agree it doesn't take a super scout to figure out that he's a phenomenal player in the interior mm-hmm. with Carter there's some character issues does he get along with everybody what's he like to deal with in the locker room those sorts of issues I know it's early in the process but I'm forewarning everyone out there Carter's going to be kind of a hot button name when we talk about some of the intangible aspects of it I think though with Pete Carroll sitting here number two who has a long history of taking guys that have quote unquote questionable character and then developing them and having to work out, it makes a lot of sense to me. But that will be the big discussion. It's not about his talent. It's not about his size. It's not about his explosive takeoff or finishing as a pass rusher. It's about the character. Do we want to bring that guy into the building? Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was audio from December of last year, Todd McShay. Me ESPN talking about Jalen Carter and his perceived, as I'll label them for right now, character issues and the volatile draft stock of his ahead of the 2023 NFL draft. Guys, we are here tonight talking about, first of all, we've reached that point of the season. It's draft, it's draft coverage for dummies. That's what we're doing here because let's face it. I've been terrible. You know this. I don't know. I don't know shit about draft prognostication. So every week, we get together, we have some cocktails, and we bring in some people much smarter, often much better looking than myself, to talk about the upcoming NFL draft. And tonight, we have Mr. Brett Coleman from the film room and bootleg football on with us. Brett, how are you feeling tonight? I'm, I'm feeling great. You know, we uh, we finally got back to normal California weather over here. So, you know, it's nice, 70 degrees, nice April. I know you guys just got some snow, so I apologize for that, but, you know. We're back to being Cali. Yeah, all the rain. We're really crying you a river over here. 
Guys, so for those of you watching us on YouTube, the view behind uh, Brett is not... It's not green screen. He's actually like much like the Jeffersons. He has moved up to that deluxe apartment in the sky. Look at it. Look at that. I don't know about deluxe, but <laughs> but it is in L.A. <laughs> is it weird having floor-to-ceiling windows? Um, yeah, I've never had these before. Um, and I will say it's quite nice. So honestly, the main reason why I moved up to because of, you know, to work with NFL, to work with the Chargers, going to be in and out of SoFi a lot. When I fly out to Buffalo again to go to another game, I'd really like to be close to LAX, not have to do a two-hour drive to LAX, because I really want to come back to Buffalo for some sort of pre-November game, <laughs> so I don't freeze my ass off. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd like to have Western New York be more accessible, and being close to LAX helps with that. God, it's it's amazing the stuff. Like, Chris, when he first started, I remember when you first started the film room. It was this time of year because I saw your video that you did pre-draft on Tremaine Edmonds. I took some audio from it for an intro when we looked at linebackers, and I sent it to Drew, and I said, hey, this sound, I don't know football, but this sounds like football. And he goes, yeah, grab that audio for the intro. And then I I had sent you a DM and asked if it was okay if I used that audio. And then that's how we became friends. What, five years ago now? Something like that? Five years ago. Six, maybe? It's got to be something like that, because this podcast is, what, like seven, eight years old now, Chris? 2017. God. The Tremaine Edmonds draft. And, and look at us now. Look at us now, Brett. It's you guys got a whole studio. You got an yes. endless supply of Montuckies. You have floor to ceiling windows. Did we ever think <laughs> we'd be here, gentlemen? Hey, I'll raise a glass to that. And so, in this way, as people know, we always I, I sit here and I do cocktail reviews. Chris has kind of he goes out of his way to make me cocktails because he knows I, I'll see it. And I'll be averse to it like this. There's just a giant chunk of fruit sticking out of my drink. And I see this and I immediately like my first reaction is to yell at him because I just like I get mad when I see fruit and beer and I feel like like Brett, my cocktail, right, has two ingredients, ice and liquor in a glass. That's it. That's my idea of a cocktail. <laughs> so when I see this stuff, I just feel like it's so much effort. The payoff can't be worth it. So he has he makes these things and he puts them in front of me, and I got to say it's your fault. He's he's been very vocal about how you were his inspiration for craft cocktail nonsense, and I got to take it up with you. What the fuck is the deal with atomizers? Why why does this? What is the why? Why are you people doing this? Those are for it's hair an products. Even dispersal of fla- like if you're trying to do an absinthe rinse for a cocktail rather than pouring absinthe in there and rolling the glass around, you just get a nice even coat. It's, you're just spraying alcohol. You're literally just spraying liquor. It, it's perfect for you. Why would you be spraying liquor? You drink it. Just drink the liquor. It's going to go in the glass, but you get like a nice even coat. It, it helps. Trust me. Trust me. By the way, if you really hate fruit and cocktails, uh, we're going to have to make you a Wisconsin old-fashioned. If you're out of Wisconsin old-fashioned... Um, so they use brandy up there, and they just throw like literally an entire orange slice <laughs> and just like four cherries into it. It's just a fruit basket with some brandy on it. If you put you that, would hate if it. You, if a bartender set that down in front of me, I would just calmly flag him down and just be like, sir, I, I ordered a cocktail, not a, not a fruit salad. 
I'm sorry. I thought the fruit it, salad was on the appetizer menu. I didn't. That's not. Well, what I'm I sure some Wisconsinites have migrated over to Western New York. Like I guarantee you, they make it somewhere around you. Well, give that cocktail a taste because it, this cocktail's Brett Coleman inspired from the last time he was on Ooh. the podcast. Okay, so it's sweet. what is it? It's so, well, so it's sweet, and I'm guessing the spirit's probably whiskey. Just based on the color, based on what I'm tasting in my mouth, there's definitely a flavored syrup of some kind in there. I'm getting orange. I'm getting whiskey. And there's something in there I can't put my finger on, Chris. Well, it's very easy. This is inspired by Brett because, Brett, if you remember the last time you were on, we just bypassed any kind of cocktail talk, and I had just thrown out there that I made a pecan syrup so in oh, that yeah. in that space i made a walnut syrup so drew is drinking an old-fashioned with walnut syrup and blanton's barrel-aged bitters and then the whiskey is uh buffalo trace okay that would be amazing this is really good like i said it's I, that walnut syrup it, like I said, it's that something I couldn't put my finger on that was really adding to the complexity of it. That's really that's a again, it kills me to say it, but that's a really nice cocktail. So if if you want to go even more bougie with it, next time you make the walnut syrup, add just like a little bit of red chili flake into it. You can strain Ooh. it out, but you just let the red chili flake like when it's steeping, so you get like a little heat on the wall. Uh, trust me, Chris. I'm not going to steer you wrong. I, I, as a guy who likes a little heat, that would be amazing in this. God damn. All right. So we're in for we're converting it. <laughs> you're winning me over. I'm just too lazy. I am just too lazy to, to put that much effort into making a drink. I'm also too lazy to do any real in-depth looking into draft prospects, which is how we end up in this position. I usually get drunk. I make some wild proclamations on social media about this guy sucks. Or then the bills draft a guy and I talk about how much I hate him. And he goes on to be Trey white. Like that that's a thing that happens to me. We're talking about the defensive lineman class for the twenty twenty three draft. First of all, right out of the gate, your thoughts on just the overall quality of this class compared to years prior? Uh if we're counting, you know, the the stand up outside linebackers, the edge rushers, and the defensive tackles all together. Yeah, all in. Um this is maybe maybe the best defensive line class that I have ever personally evaluated. It's at least the best since 2011. Uh, and if you go back to 2011, which was an equally stacked edge class, I mean, there, there's like, it's like top 50 in this class, top 50 players in this class. 15 of them are edges, maybe, maybe, maybe even more. Um, this is the best overall edge class since at least 2011. And again, maybe that I have ever personally seen it in 2011. That was uh, Von Miller, J.J. Watt, Alden Smith was there, Cam Jordan, Ryan Kerrigan, uh, Justin Houston was in that class. Um, I'm, man, that, the fact that that's only like half of the great ones, and there was even more than that, like that was a legendary defensive line class overall. Uh, and 2023, I think, is the best at minimum since then. And you know, maybe we'll take 10 years to find out. It might be even better just because the overall depth is insane. Um, edge is stronger than the interior. The interior is definitely more top heavy. Uh, it's not as deep, but the top of the interior class is absolutely outrageous. Obviously headlined by Jalen Carter. Um, you have really good pure pass rushers like Clyde, Clyde Jacancy. Um, you have amazing, 
kind of like hybrid guys that could play either nose or three technique realistically, depending on the system with Mozzie Smith and Keanu Benton. You have like a pure nose like Siaki Ika. Uh, you have value guys that are going to go on day two that are incredibly talented like Kobe Turner. Uh, and that's just the interior guys, you know, the edge, the edge guys. Again, there's like 15 of them in the top 50 overall. I would say out of the first round and a half of the NFL draft, almost half of the picks are going to be defensive linemen. Holy shit. All right. Well, that's a, Chris, that, that's probably the most ringing endorsement anyone's ever given in a specific draft class. And that's why it pains me to see the position the Bills are in right now, because we've talked a lot over the last month or so about how the Bills really have a need to steer into the offensive side of their like their team. Their roster really needs some cheap star power. They really need to take some swings there because they haven't. I mean, it's it's one of these things. You look at Josh Allen's the only first-round pick we currently have on offense. I know that that gets a lot of traction, and people make the case. I think it's valid. We traded away a first-round pick for Stephon Diggs, who has outperformed, I think, any rookie wide receiver other than Justin Jefferson you were going to draft in the first round. I was going to say, it's the, it's the same thing on either side. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. You're shuffling deck chairs there. But he hasn't drafted another offensive player in the first round since he got here. And then they've done this thing where they backfill with veteran offensive talent at the skill positions. And it's paid off to a certain degree. But you watched kind of the same thing unfold. You know, Emmanuel Sanders, you brought him in. And then over the course of the year, he was really strong out of the gate. And then like most 30-something-year-old wide receivers, by the end of the season, he doesn't have anything left to give you. And he's fighting a bunch of nagging injuries. Cole Beasley got old on you. John Brown got old on you. Like there's just... It stopped being as lucrative as it used to be. And now you're looking at the pay scales for wide receivers and tight ends have, they're not just gradually increasing, they're jumping year over year over year. You're seeing sizable leaps in pay. At some point, this team has to start investing in the offensive side of the ball. And yet here you are staring down the barrel of a class that's so good. It's so good that as a GM, if you're really, if your attitude is, I'm going to let the value of the draft come to me, it would be hard to avoid the defensive line group. It really would be. And I'm going to complicate your feelings even further. Because, again, I watched, I watched Bills football every, I'm not a Bills fan, but mm. I watched Bills games every week last year. I went to three Bills games. I went to the one here in LA. I went to one in Miami. And obviously I went with you guys to the one in Green Bay. And, the the Bills team that you saw in the beginning of the season was very different than the Bills team you saw in the end of the season. Yes. And what is so heartbreaking about how that season ended and why I still think defensive lineman is on the table is because I don't necessarily think it was the offense's fault that they you know went out in the playoffs. And it was it was just sheer bad luck that Daquan Jones was hurt. And without Daquan Jones, they couldn't stop the run. He was their only interior defensive lineman that could stop the run at all last year. You know, Ed Oliver, there's nothing against Ed Oliver, but like he struggled a lot, like yeah. especially against like outside zone schemes. Like I think his, his average depth of tackle was like five and a half, five and a half yards past the line of scrimmage against outside. Zone. He, he was essentially the DePaul Puzlesny of defensive linemen where it's like, it yeah, was, he'll get it was tackles. Blake Martinez. <laughs> yeah. He's going to get you tackles. They're just going to be halfway. They're going to be halfway to a first down. That's it. It was bad. That's it. it was straight up bad. And, and honestly, like as soon as Dake, like I, 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 if I recall correctly, 
I had the Bills winning, and then it came out that Daquan was hurt, and I was like, oh, they're screwed. Uh, and they were. Yeah. And so, well, so again, actually, I know that's a great, f- well, and that's a great place to pick up this conversation because I, I want to talk about that kind of interior defensive lineman. We'll start there because that is uh-huh. a synopsis of what went wrong last year. And when you look at the way we've handled things this season, I mean, first of all, Daquan Jones had a phenomenal year last year. If mm-hmm. you look at what Daquan Jones did while he was here, like we brought him in and people kind of just shrugged at the signing. Like, okay. He's, he's another guy who might be a one tech. We benefited all season long. Our linebackers had career years. Both of them. Matt Milano finally got his all pro nod. <laughs> like, you are a huge Matt Milano stand. He had one of his best seasons. Tremaine Edmonds had a great year and got paid because of his great year. Because of, like, what changed? Oh, you put a real one tech nose tackle type defensive lineman in front of them. And it changed everything schematically, what we were able mm-hmm. to do. So then you think about where we are with him. And I say to myself, here's a guy who was relatively healthy. He was good all throughout the season. He was he made a difference. You saw it when he was out of the lineup. What a different football team we were without that presence. Now, one of the things that the Bills could have done for a team that had no cap space was they could have extended Daquan Jones and then smoothed out his cap hit or a couple over a couple more years, given themselves a couple more years of his presence and also lowered his cap hit and given themselves a little extra cash to spend this year in free agency. The fact that not only did they not do that, but they're still not talking about it. To me, that smells like a GM who's probably saying, listen, I now see the value in this thing. But if I can find a younger, cheaper version of it, that would be really nice. Like before I make that bet, let me just see if I can't mosey on down there to the draft and find another Daquan Jones who costs me a fraction of what an extension might cost. So when you look at them and then you also have to take into account the fact that we have zero defensive tackles under contract for 2024. Zero. I was looking at that. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was like, mm, they're going to have to take one, at least one, because you're not going to pay everybody. No. And so what happens is for all the fans who are going, the Bills have to draft. You know, I've, I've seen people who are like, the Bills have to go offense with all three of their top 100 picks. I hate I to know. tell you this, but they're, I hate to tell you this. I hate to pop your bubble, but. They have a problem here, and if you were ever going to fix it, this seems like the class to do it. So let's talk about the defensive tackles. Like, in within the the true one-tech mold, you name some of the names. You know, Mozzie Smith, he seems like a good one. He seems like a really good fit for what that would be. But then when you look at what he might cost in terms of draft capital, I know some places will have him pegged as a second-round pick. Does he fall to Buffalo in the second round? Because realistically, if the guy wasn't going to, if you're a team, the way I always look at the draft, it's almost like fantasy football. It's not a reach if the guy wasn't going to fall to you in the next round and you really loved him. Like if you thought that guy was the answer to your problems and he wasn't going to be there the next time you were on the board by a round, then it's not really a reach. So you've got guys like Mozzie Smith, but there's also Keanu Benton and there's some other guys that. yeah, you know, Byron Young is a guy that I'm interested in picking your brain about, but because they're big body squat guys that can get in there. Mm-hmm. What does this draft have in terms of true one techs? 
Well, most of college football doesn't really have true one techs no, anymore. No, that's uh, it. There's, there's, it's, there's just not a lot of them. Uh, so if you want one, you kind of gotta take it at twenty-seven, because neither Mozzie nor Keanu is getting there to the, to the second yeah. round pick. Uh, Saki Ika is probably not getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be honest, I, I like I like uh, Mozzie Smith and Keanu Benton better than Saki Ika anyway. I think they're they're better three three dimensional players that can give you a little bit more pass rush than Ika does. Um, like Kobe Turner can do it, but I'd rather it be a three tech. It uh, doesn't mean he can't do it. It's, it's, I'd rather it be a three tech. And then oh, I'm trying to remember if there's, there's uh, a Louisville kid. He's solid, but he's not anywhere near Mozzie or Keanu. Like if you're going to do it, you either are going to the top of the second round for a team that's trying to get a fifth year option on somebody. Um, so within like the first ten picks of the second round is is about as low as I'd go for some team that's trying to jump up, or you just say screw it. We're taking it at 27 because we know there's going to be a million receivers there in the second round mm. uh, because that's where the strength of this receiver class is, is is day two. Like there's only – there's potentially as few as two receivers that will go in the first round. And if it's more than two – or if it's only two, I wouldn't be that surprised. Just Jackson Smith and Big Wednesday Flowers. Jordan Addison's a maybe. Quentin Johnson's a maybe. Uh, Josh Downs is probably not, but maybe. Uh and like AP Perry's going in the second round. Uh, Xavier Hutchinson's probably going in the third. Like there's a, there's a bunch of guys you can get on day two that mm-hmm. are really really good. You don't have to take one in the first round unless miraculously Zay falls, which I don't think he will. Like mm-hmm. that's the one scenario. We actually like, talked about that last week with Ty Dunn. We were talking about this idea that for everybody who just says, "Will you stand pat?" and some mock draft I saw online tells me that. Jackson Smith and Jigba, I go, guys, when you look at the last two years' drafts, there's been runs on receivers with ACL tears in the, yeah. in the top 15 picks. because They're not getting there. <laughs> when you show somebody in the NCAA that you have that ability to be an electric receiver, you get taken early. And that's good if, you're, if your mindset truly is, we're going to draft defensive line, good. Those, that will push, it'll push guys down. But with that said, I know there's a certain... P- percentage of this fan base that'll throw beers around their house and lament they'll go to the bar and yell at everybody after the draft about how the bills don't know what they're doing because we took a defensive lineman in the first round or the second round but realistically there's a case to be made that if you were gonna do it you kind of have to do it now because you can't afford to get a, a really really high level one tech or true nose tackle type defensive lineman to your point, they're becoming fewer and like hard, few, fewer and fewer and further in between in college football. Yeah. Teams just don't operate like that anymore. So now you're stuck going, I need this thing that's incredibly hard to find. And if there's a handful of really good ones, it might take my premium draft capital to get it. If I don't want to spend a fortune in free agency, like you look at what uh, what the 49ers just paid for. What's his face from the Steelers? Well, yeah. Why can't I think of that name now? What is it? Highsmith? Uh yeah, because well, yeah, because they were they uh they let um who was the defensive tackle Buckner. they took? Shit. They let Buckner go and they took uh what's his Blacklock? I believe Blacklock. No, he, uh, Blacklock went to Houston. Okay, Hold not on. Blacklock. Let me pull the depth chart. I have it. There's been so much freaking movement in free agency. I haven't been able to keep track of everything. I know the name. Uh, I remember they took him early. Uh, Javon Hargrave. That's who you're thinking. Okay, Javon Hargrave. Other pencil. 
other Pennsylvania team. Yes. So they took so they took Hargrave after they traded away Buckner and drafted a guy who was supposed to take his spot, and he kind of because of injury just kind of fell. Honestly, Javon Kinlaw. Kin- Kinlaw. That's one thinking Kinlaw. of. Kinlaw. Yeah. So you like. It's hard to find this thing. And so if you're going to try to plug that hole in the draft, you saw what Buckner got paid. The 49ers said, nah, listen, we know you're good. We're going to let you leave. The Bills might end up in the same boat. And for people who say that, like, because Daquan Jones, Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver only had one more pressure than Daquan Jones. So when people go, oh, he was our three-tech and he was our pass rusher, Nah, there, there's a case to be made. Yeah. You might need more than one defensive tackle out of this class if you're really going to keep your room together, effective, and cap solvent going into next year. In terms of three techs, who might come a little bit later, day two, day three types, anybody that you like out of this class, or do you think that there's any meat on the bone left there if the Bills were to say, hey, we went offense, or hey, we drafted a one, a really good multifaceted one tech ish kind of defensive tackle early. Come the f- fourth round, fifth round, we just need a guy who maybe has some upside. Who do you like in that role? Ooh, okay. I, ooh, man, I don't know if he's going to get there in the in the fourth round. I know it'll definitely probably fit for the end of the third round, which would be Kobe Turner from Wake Forest. Um, we interviewed him at the Shrine Bowl. He's an amazing human being. Um, you know, played at Richmond, transferred to Wake to get his master's in music. He's, they call him the conductor because he literally writes orchestral pieces. Uh, he's, he's friggin' so he's a brilliant. smart guy. Super, super high football IQ. Like talking ball with him was great. And also, by the way, he's almost 10 pounds heavier than Aaron Donald and ran a faster three count. So, Pretty athletic as well. <laughs> he had like a legendary three three cone time, like seven oh nine. It's like ninety eighth percentile across all defensive tackles in the last two decades. And he's a great dude. And he's really smart. You know, I think he benched like thirty five reps. Like he's super strong. He's just he's one of those rare guys where you know he's a he's a freak freak of nature athlete who's uh, a very cerebral player, but he just didn't get any pub because he played most of his career at like JC and then Richmond and had one year at Wake. So he, he's definitely flying under the radar, but I think he's going to have a really nice career. Um, in terms of guys that you're going to get even later, just because I, I think that Kobe's going to be a top 100 pick, like the NFL is, is – the NFL will find you if you're talented. And yeah. He's definitely talented. Um, oh, man. Byron Young's also probably going to be a third-round pick. I don't want to say he's going to go in the fourth either because Byron Young's also a really athletic interior guy that could be a five-technique or a three-technique. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. I was going to ask you, so Byron <sighs> Young, so do you like his game more for a 3-4 or more for a 4-3? I kind of like him more as a 5 technique and a 3-4, if I'm being totally honest. No, like, not that he can't. Not that he can't play three technique, but um, I just really like it because he is—he's athletic enough that where you know Nick would line him up as like a loose five mm-hmm. and say go get an edge on the offensive tackle and get pressure, and he would. So I like—I like that from him. If we're using him as a three technique, um, it's fine. He'll be totally good at it. And then on passing downs, you just kind of play him as like a looser three and say go get an edge on the guard. It's the same thing. But um, I just—I like the athleticism he brings to the position. I think he'd, he'd fit better as a five because of that. Mm-hmm. See, because that's the, that's the type of player I'm looking at and going, okay, we knew what we wanted. Because I just feel like they've been learning more as Bean's been drafting. And you watch him mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, defense, like, first of all, we're going to talk about that in a second. But they his archetypes and changing and what they need to do. But you watched him identify what he wanted when he took Ed Oliver, right? Like, you, he wanted one of these oh, yeah. athletic, compact guys who he talked about him like, here's a guy who can do it all. There was people who said he's like a baby Aaron Donald, which obviously has not manifested itself, much like most draft hype. That's what it is. It's hype. But the thing that they seem to want is an athlete in space, but now they, what they realize is that Ed Oliver plays too small when he's left one-on-one. There's a lot of times he yeah. disappears and he doesn't dominate those one-on-ones. Being a guy who watches Alabama football, I know that Byron Young, I've watched him perform well in one-on-one situations against decent offensive linemen. I think that he could give you at least at a minimum what I've seen from Ed Oliver over the last year or two. Is that fair? Yeah, and, I, I, you know, the bar is not very high on No, that, the bar is not very high. <laughs> Oh, Chris, who knew that this would this would just turn into us dunking on Ed Oliver for 10 minutes? <laughs> and, uh, again, I'm sad because I like Ed. Like, I do. I really do. He's not a bad guy. He rides horses. He he he's a cool guy. He's I just I I question what like when you lose a Von Miller and I say okay, you are trying to set yourself up as a multimillionaire interior defensive lineman. And our best pass rusher who's almost a decade older than you goes off the field and you just disappear. It's like you don't, mm-hmm. again, once again, another season where you just vanish. And then I watch Jordan Phillips come in. And I watch the way Jordan Phillips plays the game. He's playing harder than you most of the time, and he costs a fraction of what you do. That can't happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that it's, can't happen. That, that's why I'm thinking, like, they are going to take more defensive linemen than people expect. I know Bills fans are going to lose their mind about it. <laughs> but... Like two to three years from now, they're going to look back at those picks and be like, yeah, that was necessary. That was necessary. Because the only way that Zay Flowers plays in Buffalo next year is when he's wearing a Patriots jersey. Like, it just is what it is. He's not He's not going to Buffalo. JSN's not going to Buffalo. Addison's maybe, but Addison doesn't fix your problem. Nope. Like, I, 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 we already got Khalil Shakir to play the slot. Like, we're fine. Yep. We, need, we need an outside guy to compete with the game. So, like... No, you're taking a day to outside receiver like A.T. Perry or Xavier Hutchinson. It is what it is. Fine. Mm-hmm. You can still get a great defensive lineman, not just in the first round, but also in the third or the fourth round, because you're going to need him. Yep. You can kick and scream all you want about it. You're going to need him. By the way, here is a guy that will be here in the fourth round, since you were wanting like true fourth-round mm-hmm. values. Um, and he's a one technique. 
Keandre Coburn from Texas. Okay. Who is 6'2 and lost weight to get down to his weight at the Shrine Bowl of 332. He lost 10 pounds to <laughs> yes. get to 332. Give um, really, really, really stout run stopper. Obviously, he's like, like tackling a tree stump. Yeah. Um, well, that's it, but that's what you way want. Way more pass rush. You want? Yeah, and, and, and he, he does that role for you, right? Of that's just it. like, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm not letting your center climb to the second level yes. because he has to hang on for an extra second because my guard can't generate any movement, <laughs> and that lets Matt scrape over the top and get that extra step he needs. Like that's that's the I job. It's like not just to take up two blocks, just just make like change the timing of the block a little bit. Yep. He obviously is going to do that, and he provides a little bit of pass rush versatility as well, like more than you would expect. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. Keandre Coburn, fourth round. Yeah, I mean, if they're taking nose first round, they're not going to take him. But if they go, oh, God, let's just say, like, it doesn't fix the problem. Let's say they take Kalaja Kansi because they're tired of not getting any interior pressure. <laughs> let's say they take Kalaja Kansi at 27. They're still going to have to take a nose because Kansi doesn't yes. fix the problem of what, what happens if Daquan gets hurt. Then Keandre Coburn enters the discussion. And- I would prefer they do nose first <laughs> and then do three technique depth later. But if they just YOLO in on pass rush, Coburn's the guy. So before we shift gears and talk about the edges, Jalen Carter, what just by and large, I want to end on just a sweeping because this isn't even coming from a place of bills. Like, I'm curious. This is a this is like a if I'm going to talk about the defensive class, I have to talk about this issue. The Jalen Carter situation and what the hell's going on with him. Mm -hmm. We've seen. Offensive tackles run into some problems right here before the draft and stuff starts to swirl. And I think that in all honesty, if you go back and you look at what happened, right? Like with Miami getting a hold of Tunsil the way that they did, like that whole situation, mm-hmm. it happened night of. And everyone was, oh my God, let's figure out how to. By now, teams know. Like, that audio we played at the top of the show was from December. Now, there's the situation's still developing, but think, think, I just think about this. Tunsil, at the time, everyone goes, I can't believe the Dolphins would have drafted that guy. Dirtbag, no character, blah, blah, blah. He's going to be a problem. He's now on his third contract. And what's hilarious is if you go to Spotrack and you look for career earnings... He's 12. Hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> he's 12th in career earnings, but he's drafted three or more seasons behind everybody else ahead of him on the list. Yeah. He's absolutely going to climb that list over the course of the next 10 years. He, 10 years from now, we'll look back and see Laramie Tunsil in the top seven for offensive tackle pay among active players. And you'll look around and go, wasn't that the gas mask guy? who, like everyone said, was a problem, and he clearly had drug issues, and he's a character. What do you make of all of this, I don't know, all this stuff going on around the Carter situation? Because it really does dictate what happens to the board in interior defensive linemen. It's it's a very complicated topic, right? Because the the issue that Carter was having is very different than smoking weed. Yes. Very different. Um I will say, so when McShay had that report of like character concerns in December, like that was before the accident even happened. Yes. 
way before the accident even happened. And I tweeted at the time, I was like, it's very irresponsible to report about character issues and not say what they are, just throwing out a character issues label for a kid because that can be used for anything as small as missing a meeting. And I said, it's kind of horse shit that you did that because there's no public documentation for any problem. You're just saying character issues. And I still believe that even after the incident happened because nobody knew there was no publicly documented thing at the time, but it's like, okay, Todd, you knew about this thing, but there was never any public documentation of this street racing habit or anything like that. So it's like you knew about this thing at the time, but you're throwing out the character label without any sort of story or documentation to attach to it. And you're not the one breaking the story. So you're just throwing out a label that nobody else has any context to. And we're just taking your word for it. And we don't know what it's about. We don't know how serious or not serious it is. Obviously, the accident didn't happen, which is a very serious thing. But I still maintain that if, there, if you're going to throw out a character issues report or label, there better be some sort of publicly documented incident to give context to it. Mm. Or you don't say shit. Right? Yeah. I mean, that was... And what about his pro day? The pro day, honestly, was... <laughs> was more... Damaged. I don't want to say it's more concerning, but it was concerning. <sighs> and I, I kind of chalked that up a little bit to, okay, he's fighting a very serious legal case. Probably yeah. didn't work out at all. But he showed up and he did the workout because some team probably wanted him to. Um... But you know, like, you know, what the I, I, you know what the worst part is, Brett? There's somebody right now listening, like that's gonna go, you know, oh no, I would have been at the gym. What are you talking about? Like, I, I would have gone there. I don't care if my house for millions of dollars. I would have done. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Have you ever been? Have because you ever this, been associated this, this, this with vehicular manslaughter? Died. No. No, people Jesus. died. Like it's a very serious thing. Like, I. That's honestly, I'm surprised he worked out at all. Exactly. So, I really am. So, so realistically, like, the, Chris and I have talked about it. I think the only way we, like, anybody like that, you don't draft a defensive lineman of that upper echelon thing unless they were to fall to a degree that you're like, oh, my God, why is this guy still here? It's not going to happen. I still believe, and I think if you if you have this level of clarity about the situation, I'm sure there's NFL GMs who are far more shrewd and have have far fewer scruples than you do. Who are like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit. That kid can play football, and he's going to be on my team. And I mean, again, I know it's it's such a weird thing to say because people passed away in it. Yes. I don't think he's doing it again. No. No, I think you've learned. I think that, listen, as somebody who's made, I've made most mistakes. When I say that, I mean, like, I've gotten away, right hand to God, with ev today, to date. I don't have a record. Nothing bad's ever happened. I've never killed a person. Have I made some egregious mistakes? Of course. Yes. Yeah. I have lived. And it's not, it's not always roses. And you, you learn from it, and you just hope that you don't find yourself in that situation. Like, I saw that and was genuinely, like, in my chest. I'm like, I'm, I can almost feel what he's going through. <laughs> I, because I, he knows how stupid it was. Yes. It was totally avoidable. Did I have to be a part of this? Absolutely not. And now something terrible happened, and you have to just hope that you're like, all right, well, hopefully this works out for me because... I don't think I'm wrong, but also I didn't have to be there. 
like he had a bad pro day. It's, no shit. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, and it's such a complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many mixed emotions about it exactly. because of like the loss. It wasn't. It wasn't a a victimless thing. Like no, it wasn't victimless, and that's what complicates it so much. Is because it's like okay, we know this kid was like 20 or 21 years old. He did a really, really, really stupid thing. I don't necessarily think that makes him a bad person, but no. he does have to face some sort of accountability for that. And I, I hope that he's, you know, the, the the families, the victims, I hope that they get taken care of in some sort of way out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, it's 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 a tough thing, more than tough thing for them to go to as well. And so it's like there's no there's no good no. answer. <laughs> and And yet, so I guess the thing is, True or false, he will be a top 20 pick in the NFL. He's going to be a top, uh, honestly, probably a top 10 pick still. Exactly. That's it. Like, all and of this hubbub about... If I was a GM, like, would, would I be the one to pull the trigger? I have no idea. Well, that's it. You're because not in the book. I, 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 well, I'm not, I haven't got to talk to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't got to talk to him. Like, I haven't got to... Exactly. About, I don't have all the details of what the hell happened or didn't. The teams do. And that's kind of what do. I want to hit on is that for everybody who has an opinion about this situation, I know you and I know who you are as a person and the way you view most things, issues like this, that take a little bit of, I don't know, they take a little bit of nuance. You're probably the best person to have that conversation with. I've watched you literally turn your podcast over to other people so that they could tell their sides of stories. And and that's one of the things I respect most about you. So I knew that this was something we could talk to you about. And I think you hit the nail on the head. The GM who takes him, it doesn't make him a, it doesn't mean they're taking advantage of a situation. It literally means they talk to the kid. They talk to the guy and they trust who that guy is as a person that this thing isn't, uh, it, it's not part of who their character is. It was a mistake, right? We've all made them. It just luckily for most of us, they didn't end this way. Switching gears to the defensive edge class. Now, this thing is deep, and here's the worst part for the Buffalo Bills. If you look at the edges, now you said you watch Bills football, and you understand who those edge players are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll say this. My aversion to drafting a defensive lineman, like where I break on this is I go, our defensive end room is a fucking mess. We became wildly ineffective when Von Miller went down. Mm-hmm. Our starting defensive ends at the beginning of 2023 right now, if the depth chart stays the same, will be Boogie Basham, Greg Rousseau, AJ Epinesa, and Jonathan Kingsley. UDFA, sure, he had one game against the Chicago Bears, Jonathan Kingsley. Epinesa is entering a contract year. Basham has never really asserted himself on a regular basis as a quality edge defender in the NFL. Mm-hmm. The Bills could be in the market for an edge prospect here. And then you look at this class and you go, holy shit, there's a lot of these guys. Mm-hmm. And I'll take it a step further. I think that what you're finding with the Bills is they have a problem. The archetype that they use kind of follows the you hear people in the it was an article by a kansas city chiefs beat reporter who actually turned me on to this idea and the bills have this problem now the chiefs won a super bowl but the question came up why can't we ever beat joe burrow 
And Chiefs fans were like, why doesn't this happen? Why can't we, with our high mon- our high dollar you know, draft picks, capital, everything gets spent on our defensive line, and we can't sack Joe Burrow? Why? And they go, well, the archetype you build around is you get big, burly, long defensive linemen who crush a pocket. There's no suddenness. There's no spark. What you like to do is you crush everything and hope a Chris Jones wins. <laughs> and then he's mm-hmm. the guy who cleans up. Or it's Derek Noddy holding everything steady while the ends kind of wrap in a running play and there's or, str- or string out the blockers and there's nowhere to go and your linebackers can clean it up. That's how that operates. And the Bills have built their defensive line in kind of the same mold with Rousseau, Basham, Epinesa, who was supposed to be Cam Hayward 2.0, and then they made him shave 40 pounds so that he could play defensive end in a 4-3. Like, they want these big, hulking, strong defensive ends who have no suddenness or burst. And I think that they realized when they went out and signed Von Miller, we need some guy with some juice. And we're going to mm-hmm. pay whatever it costs because that's the thing that's going to win us the Super Bowl. Coming into this class, there may be a little bit of that where they say, listen, we recognize now that we needed a different type of defensive end in this building. We paid through the nose for it last year. Who are some guys... On some at the defensive edge class in a four three defense, you know, even front, that you think could give a little juice as a bendy kind of a speedy option as a pass rusher. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of those to be honest, but I, I would say starting at twenty seven, there's kind of this grouping of guys um, with Felix and Duke Ozama. From Kansas State, who's a, a I don't want to say smaller. I mean, six three, two fifty isn't tiny, but um, he still has length and power, so he gets under guys. And he's got good fluidity. Like when he bends, he finishes and all that kind of stuff. He, he does. He's not Von Miller. He, he's not as explosive as Von, but he does some Von type things. You know, when he gets in in there with the long arm and then dips and bends. Um, Will McDonald is even bendier. And has even more burst. I don't necessarily think he has quite the same power. Doesn't mean he doesn't have power, but he's more of like the, like the looser, looser, lankier, uh, type of version than, than Felix. Uh, BJ Ojolari, I think is, is very similar to Will McDonald. Not quite the same first step, but I do think that he has better power than McDonald. So again, we're talking about three flavors of, of the same thing here. Um, I would say uh, Byron Young from Tennessee, not the Bama one, the Tennessee Byron Young, extremely twitched up. Um, he's, he's another one of these kind of smaller, looser uh, speed rushers, but he's absolutely electric on stunts because he can just kind of dart and the knife in there when he's going, when he's working a game with a three technique. Uh, crazy bend, crazy, crazy bend, great burst. All these guys are going to go somewhere between 20 and 40. 40. Um, you know, Ven Ness is going to be gone. Nolan Smith is probably going to be gone. Tyree's going to be gone. Anderson's definitely going to be gone. Miles Murphy is going to be gone, but if they want to get frisky, you know, he is bigger than those guys, so he does fit more of the Bills archetype, but he's got way more burst and, and everything than, than their typical big defensive end. So if, See, and that's if they still want size. Well, that's what I was going to say, because I feel like for as much as they might recognize, hey, we need a little bit of twitch here, it's going to be, it's a hard thing to break when you keep drafting the same type of guy. 
So they might be like, well, this guy's a little bit faster, and he's more in the, like, hey, we're going to move closer to that Von Miller mold, but we still can't stray from our from the thing that we pursue because it's baked into what we believe makes a defense successful. And that's why I think there is a little tiny, tiny, tiny chance that if the right guy falls, they trade. I don't necessarily anticipate it is going to happen because I don't have a whole lot of picks. But if they feel like they're one guy away, Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't because like there are some teams out there that have Miles Murphy great as a top 15 pick. And to be honest, he probably will go top 15. But if for whatever reason, because the tackles are going early and you got two receivers in the top 15, you got Dalton Kincaid going up that high, you know, that maybe there's four quarter, like all of a sudden, you know, and everybody's like, Oh, well we can get an edge on day two. We don't Mm -hmm. have to take Miles Murphy. All of a sudden Murphy slips down to like, uh, Washington at 16 to Tampa at 19, you know, you know, maybe he slips by Seattle because Seattle takes another receiver. Um, you know, maybe he slips by the Chargers because they don't need an edge. Maybe they slip by Baltimore because they don't need an edge. All of a sudden you're looking at Miles Murphy at like 23. You're not going to make a call, say, let's go four picks and get that guy. Like it's possible. I'm not saying it's likely, but it's definitely possible that that edge is on the table. Specifically, one of those higher tier edges is on the table. Because there's so many edges in this class, somebody might fall. And to your point, the things that the Bills need, you're talking about wide receiver, tight end, there will still be talent on, like there's still meat on the bone in those classes come the second round, the third round. The, mm-hmm. You're saying, and Chris, he's convincing me, I don't know if it's the whiskey or because he just, he knows that a lot walnut about syrup. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm starting to, I'm becoming less ambivalent towards this idea that the Bills could invest some significant draft capital in that edge position, and I wouldn't be pissed about it. Because the case you're laying out, and also what I see on our depth chart and what I know about those guys, if you want to be a successful team, especially one that just lost a multiple-time Pro Bowler at linebacker, you got to bring something, right? And you saw how our defense fell apart without a, a pass rush talent. Like, mm-hmm. we just... Everything got harder the day we lost Von Miller. So I think they know that. I think they know what we're paying Von. I think they understand what's happened here. There is an op- There's an opportunity there for them to address that early and still get the things offensively that they need. Is that in your mind? Does that make sense? Yeah, and and you know, again, Bills fans might be mad about it, but. At the end of the day, if that's the difference between strip sacking Joe Burrow in the fourth quarter of a divisional round game and not, I don't think they're going to care. <laughs> you know, as long as they're making plays, like they're not going to care. And right now, they desperately need a defensive lineman of any type, any shape, any role. They need a defensive lineman that in the fourth quarter of a divisional game, divisional game, excuse me, against Cincinnati, Kansas City, Chargers, like whoever, the AFC's a slaughterhouse. Make a fucking play. Yep. That's who, what they need. Who can make the most meaningful play when it matters? They tried paying for Mario Addison. That didn't work. And then again, def- for, for defensive tackles, everyone goes, well, we can find a guy. For every Daquan Jones that pans out, there's a million Vernon Butlers that'll cost you a bunch of money and then still not pan out. So what, what edge of this do you want to be on? Do you want to sink some draft capital into it? 
at least get what you think might be a guy who won't, even if he's not great, if he gives you Ed Oliver statistics, you're not paying him $8 million a year. Like that's. Bro, they, they've been trying to draft and, and to like half ass find Jerry Hughes successor since the EJ Manuel era. Yes. This is it. Like we're going to talk about this with other guys because the Bills have been tr- quietly like safety. The Bills have quietly like they haven't really tried, but they've been like, well, we'll throw some darts, and if we're not right, no one will blame us. <laughs> we'll throw some late round <laughs> darts, and if none of them land, it doesn't matter because we still have two of the best safeties in football. But when you go now. four years and well, exactly, and now all of a sudden you're five years down the road, going shit, we don't have a plan. We've reached that point with the defensive line. The the swings you took, and unfortunately you took them early, multiple top 60 picks. You don't have a dynamic defensive end on the football team other than the one you just paid $18 million a year. At some point, that has to change when you're paying a quarterback what you're paying Josh Allen. I, I really do believe that this could be, the more and more I look at it, one of the years that they dip into that pool, I just hope I'm wrong. Which is why, like, normally this segment would be airing closer to the draft because it's where I think they will spend capital. I just hope for that one part of me that's like, I just want them to go whole hog on arming Josh Allen so we can go out there and win, like, like Madden-style football games where we're going to score 50 a game. Fuck you. Why? Because we have Josh Allen. Here's the thing. You're not going to score 50 a game. You know why? Because every drive against you is going to be 10 to 11 plays long. And that's it. And that's where you, that's where things break. For every, for every person who says that, you can't get the ball in your quarterback's hands if the other quarterback eats seven minutes per drive. Yeah. That's it. Brett, I love that you come on and do this with us all the time. Before we let you go, why don't we plug bootleg a little bit? You just had Mina Kimes. You just got to talk to Mina Kimes. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, talk to me. How did this come together? You know, they say don't meet your heroes. Uh, she's the <laughs> one exception. She's the she's the exception to that. No, she she's amazing. Uh, you know, one of the the best football folks, I guess, in the general NFL sphere. Um, you know, great person, great mind for the game. You know. Um, I think, you know, something that I've always really appreciated about her is, like, how she tries to blend, like, the analytics side of things with the just, like, watching the game side of things and, like, you know, being a tape hound, a tape hound that's conscious of, like, the context of analytics. And it's a really hard line to straddle. Uh, and, and I try to do my best at that. She's better at it than I am. <laughs> but uh, it, it was nice to be able to have a conversation with her on the show and, and talk about draft season and all that kind of stuff. And where can our listeners go to find that conversation and all the other stuff that you guys are cooking up over there and the, what you personally have going on? So that'll be over on uh, on Bootleg Football. You can find it at YouTube. Honestly, we, we get more views on the podcast on YouTube than we do on Spotify. YouTube's a huge podcast platform now. Um and then we also have prospect interviews. So if you want to, you know, listen to us talk ball and have Kobe Turner break down his own tape and he's talking about different, like, you know, reads for how he identifies blocks and defeats them and stuff like that, you know, uh, go watch the Kobe Turner interview. We, we talked to AT Perry if you want to talk to, or, you know, look at a receiver. Um, God, who else? We had Zay Flowers on there. Zay was a phenomenal interview. Again, 
Never going to be a bill, but it's a great <laughs> interview. Don't you, <laughs> you dare will him to the Patriots. I'll fucking snap. Oh, no. He's <laughs> such a dude. It's the worst kept secret in the NFL. He's such a fucking Patriot. Like, <laughs> have fun with that one, man. Your corners are going to be up for a long day with that. But, you know, if they, if they can draft a good pass rush and get the Mac before he lets the ball go, you'll be fine. Brett, I just, I appreciate you taking time out of your life to join us all of the time for this kind of nonsense. Chris, anything before we close? No, just close it up. See, look at this beautiful hair. He's been over here. He's just like, guys, he, he's a producer. He's a producer's producer. You got to get yourself one. You they have, get they have one. like three. Oh, I know. <laughs> but you got to get one who sits in the room with you and gives you the type of shit Chris gives me. Guys, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That's Brett Coleman. And this has been your Rock Pop Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.